I've been saying it and I'm going to keep saying it. Algoma is the new Muskoka's. It might be five years. It might be eight, 10 years, but this end of the world is going to blow up. Hi, I'm Michelle Sampson, host of the Destination Northern Ontario podcast. This series is for the dreamers who want to start a new life somewhere simpler. Somewhere that, for the price of a condo in downtown Toronto, you could buy a cottage resort that would be your business and your home. The trail to your new life isn't necessarily paved and easy, but it has been walked before with great success. In this episode, we meet Kate and Rob Harcourt, the owner-operators of Staying by the Lakeside Cottages. This gem on Gordon Lake, which is about 50 minutes east of Sault Ste. Marie, has eight two-bedroom cottages on 12 acres with 1,300 feet of waterfront. Kate and Rob bought the property three years ago at the height of the pandemic. Like so many of us during that time, they found themselves rethinking their careers and seriously considering new options. Before this move, I had been working in marketing. I had been off for a little over two years with a back surgery. So I was just pretty much recovered from that. And with with the pandemic, I would have been due to go back to work right after everything shut down. So I wasn't able to go back. I was a fairly disgruntled worker in my previous job. At that time, I was indirect purchasing for a large um, automotive uh, safety manufacturer. I'd never worked in a big group like that before. I'd always been self-employed. I always wanted or always thought that a camp or a uh, like a small resort like this would be a great way to retire because it keeps you busy. You've always got something to do. Just by chance, I happened to be looking through the MLS map and this one caught my eye. The only reason why this one caught my eye was in the little caption listing that comes up. It said 16 bedrooms. And I looked at the list price and I went 16 bedrooms for under 300,000. So I clicked on it and uh, that's when I realized what it was. I got an email from Rob the day he found this. Subject line of the email was retirement and it was this listing. And it was like, oh, that looks really cool. Let's go check it out. And the price point was ridiculous. So we, we jumped in the car the next day and drove up from Collingwood and uh, had a look at it and ended up uh, putting an offer in that morning and then raced home and sold our house in Collingwood. And the funny thing is Collingwood had changed from the beautiful little resort town that we first moved up there with our children and we skied and we had the bay and everything. And it was wonderful. But Collingwood, you know, partially because of the pandemic, but also the boomers just pouring out of Toronto. Like it was unbelievable. For a small town, it had six major subdivisions on the go, which is I follow real estate and that's not usual to be growing that fast. So that was part of the reason why we left and moved up here. I was thinking, let's just get the heck out of Dodge where it's nice and quiet. And then when we got up here and I realized the potential this thing had, I was like, wow, I've been saying it and I'm going to keep saying it. Algoma is the new Muskoka's. We moved into Collingwood just before Collingwood freaking exploded. And we had no idea. We just happened to move into that neighborhood. Same thing, I think, it's, it's happened here. We found this place, we moved here, and it's about to go. It might be five years, it might be eight, ten years, but this end of the world is going to blow up because Southern Ontario is full. Algoma is the new Muskoka. You heard it here first, folks. 
So this was happening in the summer of 2020, when the pandemic drove people out of cities and set the suburban and rural real estate markets on fire. Thanks to all those pandemic buyers and boomers, Rob and Kate were able to sell their house in Collingwood quickly. But it wasn't without some personal challenges. It was crazy. We didn't have enough money down to, to, to seal up the deal right away, so we had to run home and sell our place. We threw it on the market and held our breath because um, there was a lot of action on this property. There was a lot of groups interested in picking it up, and we sort of charmed the previous owner and got lucky and uh, ended up selling our house in time. We kind of joke about in our family, uh, 2020 is the year of the pandemic and the year mom and dad kicked everybody out of the house. We have four kids. They were all in their 20s, but everybody had still been living with us in Collingwood. Um, so it was like we came home from looking at this place and it was either you're moving up north or you've got to find somewhere else to be. <laughs> they were very supportive. I will say it wasn't like, mom, what are you doing? It was good. The only difficult part was we were mid-swing in a number of different renovation projects. So when we got home, the agent here was phoning, do you have your property listed yet? Are you listed yet? We're like, no, we've still got backsplash to do. And anyway, it took us, I don't know, two weeks maybe to finish up what we were doing, got it listed and sold firm all within a month. Yeah. And we, and the fun thing was we moved out of a big house, like 3,000 finished square feet into less than 500 square feet. We're living on the camp right now and the cabins are smaller than the living rooms in our previous home. So it made the, made the move a little more challenging. We ended up having to buy a sea container. We figured out the cheapest way to do it would be to buy a sea container and leave all our stuff in the sea container because these cabins had cutlery. They had like everything. We didn't need to bring anything with us. So moving and keeping all your stuff at the same time is not as easy as you think. So um, we still have a, a sea container and one of the cabins full of our stuff, like just as warehousing. Yeah, I was going to ask about how you made the decision to live in the cabins. Did you consider a separate property to live in or was the plan just always to move into one of the cabins? The previous owner, they lived in one of the cottages for the 25 years they owned it. So that was always the original plan. There's so much work to do here when the work is done and things are running a little more smoothly and perhaps, you know, we've hired staff, then we can consider. Because the previous owner's living here, we, I didn't even blink an eye. I, that was my plan was to live here. Like Kate said, there was so much work to do. You know, why would you live anywhere else? Plus, we're a limited capital, so I didn't want it. We don't want to spend money on a second property. We're all in on this. If it doesn't fly, it's uh, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to figure something out. After they sold the house and bought the camp, a new journey began. The property was only three hundred thousand dollars because it was getting run down. Thanks to previous jobs in both the construction and hospitality industries, Rob saw the potential, but understood that it was going to take a lot of work to get a guest ready. It was obvious the camp had been left on its own without maintenance for probably a good five or six, maybe seven years. So there was a lot of maintenance to catch up on and that the damage that had occurred from lack of the maintenance had to be done. And then it was basically just updating them. We've been updating kitchens, bathrooms, 
my background in the hospitality industry has helped us quite a bit too, because I have uh, focused on making the bathrooms, the kitchens, and the bedding the cleanest out of everything, because that's what grosses most people out. The property needed some work beyond the cabins too. They sold us a 75-foot dock with the, uh, uh, with the camp. When we purchased the place, it was November, so we couldn't really check out the, the waterfront as to how it, was it deep? Was it shallow? Was it this, that? Right? We had no idea, but we wanted to have a dock ready for the next year. And then the, the young real estate agent, she said, oh, well, there's your dock right there. I looked at it, I said, that's not a dock, that's a burn pile. But uh, the funny thing is, I know nothing about docks. Like I said, I can build you a house, but I've never built anything into the water. So we ordered quite expensive dock. They are quite expensive. But uh, literally two days before the dock was to be delivered to the camp, I was outside building a, a cradle for, for firewood. And I was using the old material out of the old dock. And I pulled my tape measure out and I measured a piece of the dock. And I went and I counted all the pieces and I went, wow, that's not 75 feet. That's 150 feet. So they had the dock, the length of the dock totally wrong. So our first year, it was like, we had this beautiful big aluminum dock out in the lake and there was 18 inches of water at the end of it. You couldn't even bring your boat up, dude. It was so shallow. So we added, what did we have? 40 40 yeah. feet the next year. We've got to add like another probably 40 this year. Yeah, that was a, that was a good one. What was your strategy to get ready for guests and what was your timeline? It was so overwhelming trying to figure out which cottage was the most work, what was the least work, and prioritizing between all these buildings that are the same. You'd walk into one and you'd be, wait a minute. No, I'm in the wrong one. Sorry, that's something we didn't say. All eight cabins are identical. Like absolute floor plan. They're like they were punched out in a factory. So yeah, yeah, they looked exactly the same on the outside and on the inside. Yeah. So um, it took us a little while. We went through each one, figured out what work had to be done, which was going to be the easier one, the harder one. Initially, we thought, oh, we'll start with the hard ones, knock those off. And as time's creeping by, we're like, oh, no, we better start with the easier ones, get those going. For example, it took my daughter and I three days to go through and just inventory, like how many forks do we have? And then figure out what do we need each cottage to have and Rob's underneath them and doing all this stuff, figuring out what work needs to be done. Um, so we picked a schedule. I started listing things for rent on Airbnb according to our schedule. And it went pretty good for the first couple of cottages. The third one was okay. By the fourth one, we're like scrambling to get stuff finished, which we did. So our first year, we weren't able to open until mid-June of 2021. But yeah, it's still difficult to prioritize because we still have four more cottages to do work on and we change our minds. So you did manage to get the first four ready for June 2021. How was your occupancy yeah. for that season? With the pandemic just ending, as soon as we were listed, we were just flooded. So now 
we were a little low on our pricing. So I think our occupancy was slightly better in 2021 than 2022, but we've made significantly more money in 2022, which works out. But still, this past summer, we're only at about 50% occupancy. When Kay was making reference to the fact that we were underpriced, um, it was it was a learning curve for us once we came up here because we kept calling it a fishing camp. And up in in this part of the woods, camp is a camp. Like you don't have hydro, you don't have plumbing, you have a, you know, an outside Johnny on the spot, that sort of thing. And so people weren't getting what we were saying to them. Like we weren't making sense to them. And then we also weren't charging a high enough price because we didn't think what we had was that special. And then the people up here are like, oh no, you know, you've got indoor plumbing and electricity and, and, you know, it's insulated, like that's great. So it took us a while to, to figure that out. And so our pricing has, yeah, has been coming up the whole time because we're realizing we have a lot more to offer. Do you have a sense of why you weren't able to fill the other 50%? Well, we've been working on actually getting the cottages all ready to rent. We're relying solely on Airbnb for marketing. We just took another course on Airbnb. Uh, like the last two years have, are unprecedented. Like it's, yeah. it's been crazy. Everybody's trying to, to get their feet back on the ground and go, okay, the world's back to normal. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And it's getting better. But those first two years were, you know, that was a shot in the dark. For us, for sure. But there are definitely some things we've identified. So for example, we allow one night stays. And we get a fair amount of that. So we don't want to not do it. But it also, if you've got a couple of one nights, it's hard to fill in in between those sometimes. Most of the resorts up here are, they only allow full one week rentals, Saturday to Saturday. The previous owners here did the same thing. So maybe we could list several of the cottages for week only, leave a couple of them for shorter stays, that kind of thing. But yeah, that's something that we're really starting to think about and analyze and decide how we're going to go forward from here. I'm curious if you have any guests who used to stay at the resort, you know, back before you owned it and if they've come back. Yes. The previous owner left us her recipe card box that is full of everybody who has ever stayed here. I'm working up to figuring out how best to contact some of these people. But in the meantime, as soon as we, within a month of us, not even a month of being listed on Airbnb, people found us and said, oh, is this that resort? And they were booking right away. I think Renata had a little bit to do with that. We had one gentleman, he was 36 years old. He was crying on the phone when he found out we were open again because he'd been coming here since he was six. He'd been coming here for 30 years. So he was, he and his wife and child and their uncle or something. Anyways, they came this, just this year, right? Their last summer. This past summer. Past summer. Yeah. And And they're booked again. Yeah. And we have a few, we have some other people that are, are Americans that are like, familiar with this lake. They used to stay at a a cottage farther down the lake from us and rent it from old friends. And that cottage changed hands. And the people that 
purchased that cottage is actually the local mailman. And so he referred those people to us. And so now we have what, two, the two sisters, is it, that are coming up? Yep. They book spring and fall and they book for next spring. So they'll be here twice a year. The majority of the people that were coming before we owned the place were from the U.S. And some of the border crossing issues prevented some of them from coming last year and even the year before. But they keep trying. And we have a lot of them booked for this summer. And some of the ones who came last summer are booked again for this year. So it's great. Did you ever consider keeping the old name to help those people keep finding you? We actually got in a fight about it again this morning. Not a joke. That's not a joke. We really did think about it. And actually, I mention it in all of our marketing so that if people are Googling, hopefully some of this will be coming up. Or even in Airbnb, if you do a search for the old name, it will come up because I have it mentioned. But yeah, we did change the name. Didn't mean to uh, cause any strife. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) I wanted to ask about your amazing ratings. You know, you've got all these five-star reviews and super host status and all of that. Are you doing anything in particular to wow your guests? We clean like crazy. There's no doubt these places are spotless when you get here. We've upgraded all the linens, like interior-wise. We've done the very important things, the kitchen, the bathroom, the bedding, refinished the floors, new area rugs, futon, mattress covers. Outside, the view, I mean, it's beautiful here. And we're really nice people. People feel very welcome. A lot of them say that. And, you know, we give them firewood. We'll help them start a fire if they've never done it before. Or if they want to try kayaking, we'll help them. We want to make sure people have a good time when they're here. Those other four cottages, are they still getting renovated? Or have you gotten them up and running? One of them is almost done. And we're actually staying in it right now. It just needs a couple little things. Rob's working on the very worst one right now that we kind of left to the end. We should have seven of them ready to go by the end of the summer and we'll be in the eight one unless we find somewhere to move off of here. I can't see us moving out of here for probably another year or two. What we did was we bought a camper, big camper trailer. And so in, in the warmer months, we move out into that camper and uh, we rent the cabin instead of living in it. And then when the fall comes, because our fall and winter businesses aren't really established that well. We moved back into the one of the cabins for the colder season. Do you have a five-year plan or are you just keeping your eye on uh, these first steps first? Oh, we have plans. <laughs> yes, we have another seven acres over here. I want to do some uh, water management. It's a big marshy bush. I want to dig some trenches or canals through it. And then I want to build a boardwalk system through it and put in hopefully 15 yurts or those like dome domes things. or like something. I'll do like the, I want to do like four or five of the, like the tiny houses with the bedroom on the second floor along the waterfront. So you have the view of the lake. Then the other ones I'll, I'll do the domes where you, you can just lay in bed and look straight up 
You know what I mean? Because you're in the bush, right? But we need to build a decent main building. We need to put in uh, public washrooms. You know what I mean? That sort of stuff to be able to maintain those. Because those wouldn't have plumbing or bathrooms and stuff. And it wouldn't have a septic system. But yeah, I can spend lots of money. That's what the other thing we're doing is, is we're starting to source government funding for accommodations. Some of Rob's drive to build new units is because he learned through a DNO report, the Pan-Northern Accommodation Sector Study and Gap Analysis, that Northern Ontario has lots of tourism demand, but not enough places for visitors to sleep. Since this gap has been identified by the region as a challenge for growing the tourism industry, Kate and Rob are very wisely looking into government programs that can help them be part of the solution. That said, since government programs can be tricky to find and understand, they went looking for help. They started by registering for the Northern Ontario Tourism Summit. I don't know if you've ever tried to look up government programs. They're hard to find. But we heard about the summit. We registered as we're watching this. I just, I couldn't write fast enough. It's like this, this is answering every question I've had since we moved up here. It took a little time to sort of sift through that information, got in touch with um, Tourism Excellence North and the Fast Track to Success program. So we just had that completed two weeks ago. And now, so now we're digesting that information. And now we know better what's out there, what they do, what we need to do. There's definitely stuff out there for us. <laughs> if someone is considering moving up here and opening any sort of tourism business, reach out to DNO immediately. If I had known that coming up, I would be light years ahead in terms of knowledge. So yeah, do it. I, uh, I used to work in economic development myself, and it's great to hear that you're engaging with it because that's all the economic developers are trying to do. Like They want to get the attention of the very busy business owners to say, here are all the ways that we can help you. We called Gord. That would be Gord Knowles, who you may remember from episode one of this series. We sat on the boat with him for two hours. He couldn't tell us enough, and it almost felt like, well, I'm kind of cheating and getting the inside information here but he's like no like we want everybody to know yeah, yeah it's great that's where that conference was so valuable the information like i was just sitting there taking screenshot after screenshot because i can't write that fast gord was fabulous and uh if this goes anything like it has the potential to go i'm all about buying another one and then buy another one after that why not yeah, I think that's a, a perfect transition into my uh, my last question, which is, you know, it's been two years since you've made this investment. How are you feeling about it so far? Oh, there's nights I lay in bed, can't sleep at three in the morning going, what in the heck did we do? I really miss our kids. I'll get that out there. So some of that is is personal, emotional stuff. Obviously, everything's not perfect here. It's like, oh, this happened, and how are we going to fix that, and blah, blah, blah. But 99% of the time, though, you just look out the window. It's like, that's why we did it. It's beautiful. And it, the thing that I would say that I have to really remind myself is when we're looking at the business, we're seeing all the, the problems and the things that are wrong. and 
you know, the water is not deep enough versus, oh, what a beautiful dock to walk out and have your coffee. When I keep the perspective of a guest coming here, it's amazing. And I would do it a hundred times again. Next time on the Destination Northern Ontario podcast, we talk to Aniela and Brian, another couple who bought a cottage resort. They weren't really in the market for a property, but when the owners of their favorite hunting lodge retired, they took a leap of faith. Follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to make sure you don't miss it. While you're there, we'd appreciate if you left a rating or review. For more information on staying by the lakeside cottages, check out the Airbnb and social links in the show notes. For more information on investment opportunities across Northern Ontario, visit the new DNO Investor website at invest.destinationnorthernontario.ca. The Destination Northern Ontario podcast is produced by Storied Places Media and hosted by me, Michelle Sampson. Thanks for listening.